Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast. With me, your host, Andy White. And with me today, we have Terry Chapandama. Sit down, don't sound like me. And <laughs> Martin Theobald. I'll be speaking English. <laughs> um, so, what has your weekend had in store for you so far, gents? Anything Sh- exciting? A shitload of rain and a pretty good card at your call. Um, so, big shout out to Tommy Dove. The promoter behind Dovebox Promotions, um, high-level terms, built a boxing model, said, you know, let me get all these young boxers, actually boxers of varying ages in London, get them all under one banner, get them fighting regularly, get them shows, and in return, hopefully I can make a profit too. So you had a reasonable card, you know, in terms of the what he could have put together. It was a reasonable card. I was more or less interested in the guys that I have relationships with. So there are a lot of the fights I won't talk about because I've missed them. I was trying to, you know, be a young man out and about. But for me, the highlight of the night was Domac and Lardy. Um, I've mentioned him probably seven or eight times on this podcast. Um, Dom, fantastic amateur. I still think Dom's the most talented amateur of his generation. Um, you know, him and Ian Lewis and Titanic struggled when we were all younger. Um, look, if Dom was around the same time as Joshua was an amateur, it would have been interesting to see who had gone to the Olympics in 2012. So he won in an absolute barnstormer of a fight. First round, he gets put down once, gets caught. I mean, gets caught on the chin as well. So he's buzzed, and you're looking at the, you're looking at this going. I don't know what's got into Dom. I don't know if he's just being bad, or if this guy's really, really good. And you know, you just want him to survive that first round. He survives the first round. And if anyone can find it on YouTube, I'll try and upload the link on Twitter later. So make sure you follow me, all you listeners, and you'll get it. But he came up for the second round like a man possessed. Um, Everything we love about Dom was just done the way it should have been done from day one. So he was really, really intense in all of his movements. Couldn't get hit. And once he had Adam Mackay hurt, just basically beat the crap out of him. Like There were some horrible uppercuts going in there, some horrible hooks. And the rest stopped it. And the good thing about that is, based on his second round, he's a legitimate English title fighter right now. Um, whether he can find that space again, don't really know. I'm really praying for him. You know, good friend of mine. So before someone pulls me up on this, there is an actual degree of bias behind this. You know, I'm a big fan of Dom's. Been in the ring with him, so I know what he's capable of. Just needed to unlock it, and he did yesterday. Um, flying through the card. Uh, Chris Congo, former GB boxer, uh, he was, so he was GB at 69, looked patient, composed, I mean, looked a great technician in the ring. He's a guy that, if I was a promoter with a TV deal, Chris is the kind of guy I'd get on there because he looks the part already, you know. You, you can see what GB did for him, those two years on the squad did wonders for him because he looked, he looked pretty good. So, you know, that's a good start to his career, let's get excited about him. A uh, good friend of mine, Ashley Bailey Demetz, boxed as well. So he's back into he's back on winning ways. 
and you just respect to the guy because you know he's turned pro relatively late but he wants to live his dream and he's putting all the hours that God sends down to do that um let's touch on the main event Eric Ochieng versus Asinia Byfield um just felt it was a fight too soon for Eric you know he's coming back he's feeling his way back into the sport probably could have done with a a quick four-rounder just to shake the ring rust off. Asinia Byfield, you know, you know, for for some of his limitations, and he does have some if he'd, he'd admit it himself, showed up as if, you know, it was do or die. If you can't win the Southern area, what are you doing in the sport? And he boxed accordingly and was probably a deserved winner. So, good night overall. Fantastic to see, you know, some old friends, you know, guys like Ian Lewison. And for the record, neither of us look as big as our, as our weights would suggest. Um, interesting talking to Ian actually after the fight and what he said was there was nothing in that fight with Dillian that he saw where he was like this guy's levels above me he said look I just wasn't in shape had I been in shape maybe it would have been different so my response immediately was you can't say had I been in shape you've got to be in shape and it's your job hopefully man that's lit a fire under him and he'll I mean he'll push now because you know he trains with Dom and Dom was in that same position where Dom was, I mean, we were sparring each other. Dom was 20 stone and I was something like 15. And, you know, it was great for a couple of rounds, but he'd start blowing. So Dom sorted himself out. Um, let's hope Ian can do that too. But it was a good night. <clears throat> you know, I should try to get to those shows more often. Um, very early shout outs though. Good to see guys like Shaz out there. Um, Ingram from Bayloric as well. I know we didn't get a chance to talk properly. Next time we will, I promise. You know, we'll have a good laugh about it. You can hear me slag off boxing in general. And uh, <clears throat> how was your weekend? Was all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, on that note, I, I actually watched uh, Mickey Helliot, who was doing some of, I think it's a joint promotion, isn't it? In terms of he had some of his fighters on the Dove Box show. Um, he tweeted out a link which was a really good quality link to uh, the show last night. Now, I only caught it at the main event, so I had that on my phone and I had the Liverpool card on my TV. I was kind of watching between the two. But uh, it was a really, really good link of the show, like high-quality production uh, looking on it. I was wondering when I was watching it, like, is this a good thing or not? I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. I don't know, uh, I can't remember who it was that, um, that was providing the, the live feed for it. It was a, a business. It had like a, a name to it. All about boxing. All about boxing. That's it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the commercial agreement is there between the <clears throat> the promoter and the streamers. Um, but there were at any point maybe about 30 people watching it. So you're not talking big numbers. Uh, for what looked a very, very good quality production of it. Um, but I was just sat thinking, like, where's my incentive now for next time to go and buy a ticket? Like, if I enjoyed the show watching it, then if I know it's going to be streamed again next time, I wouldn't necessarily go and buy a ticket for it um, because it was that good. They need to make it slightly worse as a production value to give me an incentive to go down there and watch it. it won't, some people go for the atmosphere, though. Uh, quite possibly, but mo- the majority of small hall boxing is just built, like the, the ticket sales are built around family and friends of people. Um, so that's, <clears throat> you know, not that many people go to small hall boxing because of the, the atmosphere or whatever. They won't go and sit for a whole show. They'll predominantly go and watch like one of their, you know, friends or family who's fighting. Um, and although, yeah, it did look quite good as a show. I said, 
where's the incentive to go and buy the ticket to go and watch it next time when the production is that good on a live free YouTube stream? Like, I would start charging for the stream, but then not that many people were watching it anyway. Uh, anyway, it was just, it kind of caught my attention, really, as a, as a thought, that I didn't know where my incentive was to get down there and watch the next one if I know that it's about boxing and they're going to show it for me anyway. Well, had you been in the bar last night, <laughs> you would have realised <clears throat> sometimes you get extras at your call. Or, or a reason I should have stayed at home. <laughs> well, no, no, no. So, so, weirdly enough, you know, while Dom's fighting, there's a situation happening in the bar. So some kids steamed in there, you know, and... Your call does this to people. Everyone believes they're tougher than they are. But the problem with the boxing crowd is at least 60% of the people in there, male and female, can punch. So it's one of those times where you should actually just behave yourself. So this kid's gone in, acting the big man. I think he did it to a, like a traveller family. And the guy just... Great got, idea. Yeah. <laughs> went to swing once, got knocked out. And the guy was out for 20 minutes. He didn't move for 20 minutes. They've had to shut the bar. The paramedics have steamed in there instead of being ringside. No, you've gone past it after 20 minutes. The guy's still on the floor, kind of twitching. Go past after 40 minutes. You're like, this guy might be dead. Is That was a, that was a, probably the more worrying element where you're like, actually, this guy might be dead. But then somehow they managed to bring him back around and you saw him being carried around. So hopefully that kid's learned a lesson that <laughs> boxing shows are not the ones to be causing trouble at. Okay, um, fair enough. Let's move on from Barbaros to Bellu Flores. What did you guys make of this? I would rather have seen Terry's Barbaro, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, right, so we we didn't know an awful lot about Flores. Oh, I didn't personally, other than he was a 37-year-old, two-time world title challenger. Uh, who's lost on both occasions, and the rest of his resume was shit. And you could see why. I mean, Bellew was sloppy coming out. He was really, really sloppy. And Flores landed a couple of nice, uh, I think there's the overhand right that landed off uh, Bellew's chin. He took it well. Um, it just, it, it was what we were expecting. It was very much of nothing. Like Flores, he had to get naked to make the fucking weight on the the day before. Um, he was clearly not making the weight properly. He didn't. I tweeted at the time. I didn't know whether he looked fat or whether he looked like he was on PEDs. I wasn't sure which of the two it was, and I'm still not sure. Um, but Bellew just had his way with him, and <laughs> to the point where when he scored one of the knock, one of the multiple knockdowns, he could then walk across the ring and like whilst the rest counting Flores on the floor, he was offering out David Hay on the outside, like, whilst the referee's still counting. Like, that's how much he had to try for it. They knew it was a mismatch, and it was a mismatch. Is Bellew actually poo? No. So, you don't become multiple-time AVA champion in the time that he did if you're rubbish. Let's just be clear about that. So, he has a certain skill level, which you have to respect. And he... When he boxed in the amateurs at 91, he had a fair degree of power. So his power was an equaliser. I think we're seeing that in the cruiserweight division. And this is always a tail in boxing. When you punch hard enough to put people down, you can get away with a lot of mistakes because people are less willing to commit to their punches. So you've got, you know, you, look, you can see someone like BJ Flores. 
and whatever his coach told him about Bell, you great. But as soon as he got hit by Tony Bell, you properly, it changed the complexion of the fight. So Tony has that 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 element of cruiserweight. The problem he'd have is if you had a guy like Evander Holyfield as a cruiserweight now, as soon as you detonate that left hook and Holyfield's there going, that doesn't affect me. Yep. Then I think, <clears throat> just like with Adonis Stevenson, I think Tony's whole thing falls apart. So he's he's a bully. He wants to know that he's dominant in that ring. The minute he's not dominant, the minute he can't get the reaction he wants, he folds. So then is he just fortunate that the cruiserweight division isn't... No, no. He's whoa, avoiding whoa. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, the cruiserweight division is stacked with people that would, like... Uh, you can't say definitely would fuck him up, but are better than what BJ Flores was. Like, make no mistake about it, BJ Flores was hand-picked to be in that ring for first defence. I said it last week, that although I didn't know enough about or very much about Flores at all, I knew there was a very good reason that Eddie Hearn had got him over for that first defence, because he was terrible. Um, but, you know, there was Bradis on the undercard. There's Usk, like... Fuck me, I would love to see Usk go in there and just wipe Bellew across that canvas multiple times. How is, I don't understand. If Bellew's, there's several people that could take him apart. How did he ever get the chance to fight for a world title? Um, Through great management, through great promotional abilities. Um, You know, he there's money behind him. That's how he got to fight for the world title. That's exactly how he got to fight for the world title because he has the backing of one of the biggest promoters in the world and one of the hottest in boxing right now. Um, that's how he got there. Okay, fair enough. What does the future hold for him after this? I mean, clearly pretty abysmal defence in as much as the quality of it. But where does he go from here? What is he looking... I mean, he's, as you say, called out, hate the side of the ring. He's looking perhaps to that, to the future. I don't know if that's medium or long term for him, but w- what can we expect from him in the short term? So we'll know. Um, I personally think David Hay would say, right, we'll fight in March. If Bellew takes that fight, he pretty much knows his career's over because he's going, he, he'll get smashed to absolute pieces. I repeat that, absolute pieces. And I know John Mahal thinks he's <coughs> a Hay fan. Hay will rip him apart so badly that what Adonis Stevenson did to him will look like a kiss and cuddle, I promise you. You know, there's one thing I I respect about David is this. He remembers everyone that's disrespected him and they've all paid. You know, Derek Chisora's a tough man, a far tougher man than Tony Bellew is, and David dealt with him decisively. Um, Value, I imagine, is a tougher man than Bellew. Hay dealt with him decisively. I don't, I don't know what Bellew thinks he has chin-wise that Hay hasn't seen before. We'll see. But if David offers that fight in March and Tony goes, no, no, we have to do it in the summer, then you know Tony's not serious. But from what I'm hearing, David's aim right now is to either get a world title shot in December or know that the fight after the December fight is for a world title. And he's in a strong position to do both. If he got a world title shot in December and got the world title, could we therefore see Bellew fighting for a heavyweight world title? No, no, because once he's got that world, once you got that world title, what are you going to do? You're going to say, "All right, Joshua, unification." That's exactly what I'd want to do. So it all hinges on what happens in December. Uh, yeah. Do we know? Has anything else happened about December yet? Um. So <laughs> it's an absolute mess. What I do know is. Vladimir's not looking at alternative opponents. 
that's not to say that they haven't been contacted. So I'm assuming Gaza, Otto, Valin and Marius Vac are keeping their hands quite warm. Um, Josh was not looking at alternative opponents, so they're just trying to thrash out details. Um, no one really knows. The expectation is the fight will happen. Um, as for where it happens, I don't think they've agreed on that yet. And I don't think they've agreed fully on the purse splits and the media rights. Possibly Let's... Manchester though, right? Or Hamburg. And also remember, you've got two competing networks here. Klitschko's an HBO fighter. Josh Inez is a Showtime fighter. And that's a big deal now. So they could be, these could be something else. Did you have something to say about Bellew? Yeah. <laughs> okay, rewind. Let's, let's take this back. Yeah. Adonis Stevenson leaving Tony Bellew fucking curled up in the corner of the ring out in Canada in one of the worst British world title performances I've ever seen. Bellew like bottled it that night, something bad. And whether that was because Adonis Stevenson had more than Bellew had ever imagined, I don't know. But that was one of the worst Brits fighting for a world title. Adonis Stevenson had him like turned in the corner. Like he beat the shit out of Tony Bellew. We're going back what two years here? Tony he beat him so badly. Tony Bellew ran to cruiserweight, right? And okay, Tony Bellew has looked okay at cruiserweight. Let's not forget the fact the Masternak fight down at the O2. He didn't look superb in that whatsoever. Uh, and Masternak is fringe world level. That's the best cruiserweight that Bellew has fought, and he scraped a points victory against him. So, why the fuck are we talking about David Hay? Like, this is the biggest pantomime bullshit, and it fucking drives me mental. Like, apologies for the language, but I just don't care. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. That you look at what BJ Flores did last night in that first round, landing shots at will off the fucking chin of Tony Bellew. Now imagine David Hay. Like, if if we're all in agreement David Hay isn't the fighter of five, six years ago, we're probably all in agreement that maybe for four or five rounds, David Hay is that fighter still. He may not be able to last longer than that, but he's still a powerful puncher. You could see it in those two return fights, irrespective of what standard the opponents were David Hay can still punch like Mark Demori doesn't remember having the photo taken at the end of the fight he doesn't remember standing there in front of all the photographers that's testament to the fact that if nothing else David Hay can still punch my favorite quote from the whole event was David Hay saying I'm gonna go out my way to knock him out with a jab yeah he said like <laughs> if Bellew laughed at the fact I put down uh, that Yan Jujai or whatever his name was with a jab I'm the Cobra gonna, yeah the Cobra he said I'm gonna knock him out with a jab and like as much as David Hay is this <laughs> at times odious like salesman irrespective of that the times where he's been very serious in what he's said and let's go back to the Audley Harrison fight prior to that he got a very, very big telling off for what he said on a TV program where he said this fight will be as one-sided as a gang rape. Those were his fucking <laughs> words about Audley Harrison. Yeah, he did, didn't he? And what happened? That fight was very, very one-sided. Like, bad. <laughs> so glad you didn't go. I, I didn't go there. I didn't go back. Um, so... David Hay is a respectful individual at times. You know, he never built up those two opponents in the return fights that much. Um, he's he's aware. You know, he never spoke down about Klitschko. He spoke up about Klitschko. He's speaking down about Bellew. He knows this is a destruction. He knows that it's an easy payday for him. 
Tony Bellew is nothing more than a distraction to David Hay. So as Terry said, David Hay will be focusing upon those world title opportunities and making the most money out of what he can in the remainder of his career. Now, if he can get a world title against, say, Lucas Brown and then go on to make a unification against Anthony Joshua, that is the path of most cash for him. However, if there isn't the opportunity for a world title fight in December and there is the opportunity in January, February, March to take on Tony Bellew, that fight will happen because David Haight absolutely knows that he will destroy Tony Bellew with very little resistance and for, I'd imagine, an awful lot of money because imagine how much Eddie Hearn can sell that as a fight. Imagine how much he'll go into salesman overdrive. And there was a tweet earlier that someone had sent me um, just to show you how much pantomime and bullshittery there is around this. Someone tweeted you, he's behind you. No, it was from um, Tony Bellew, a quote from him back in 2013. So we're going back three years here. Believe me, I am not a fully-fledged cruiserweight, and David was. He's the greatest cruiserweight this country has ever seen. I shouldn't be talked about in the same sentence. That is a level of respect given by Tony Bellew to David Hay, and now you've got him pretending that he's this badass, like there's this backstory to it, he decked him in sparring all these years ago. It's absolute pure sky pantomime bollocks, and I despise it. So, so, so one of the things, yeah, and let's be clear, David Hay was a career 81 fighter who just could make 91 because he had the skill to get away with it. But David could have had a career as a light heavyweight. He's not a big man. Bellew was 91. And, and as he's fond of saying, I've been big my whole life. Skinny fat kid and all that sort of stupid garbage. What I always find amusing, and this is how you know this is a setup, the British Boxing Board of Control let Bellew do this. Because... Any other sport, yep. you'll get pulled up in front of your governing body. Unless someone has said, listen, they're not going to fight. And the most disappointing thing was, I've watched wrestling for long enough to know that there are ways you come out of that ring onto someone. And the, <laughs> the way he did it was embarrassing. Now, like, you could never do that at WrestleMania and expect to keep your job. Yeah, we were, I mean, last night, we were a Shannon Briggs under the ring apron away from this being a fucking wrestling match. It was absolutely embarrassing Spencer Fearon coming out on Twitter today saying about Hay looks scared of Bellew like are you are what you people you say? Hey, serious Hay looks hey, hey look shook I was like and, and and having been around actually no forget forget having been around David yeah? David has form of things kicking off post fight right and he's 1-0 right now and Derek Chisora <laughs> will confirm that as will Don Charles let's be absolutely clear about this because yeah. people got tripods in the face and everything David is a bad bad guy I'm just saying this now this is a kid who lived in Bermondsey in the 80s when it was a Millwall heartland and he was still respected as by a everyone. black man as well. Exactly, and he was still respected. Why? Because he'd fight like David Hayes, the sort of person. If he wasn't boxing, he'd be doing some form of fight. He'd just be fighting somewhere, prison possibly, more than likely. So, so, so when people see the the afro and the the groomed beard and the suits and the cars and the endorsements, don't forget who this guy is at his core. He's just smart enough now to realize. He's a brand, and he protects that brand, you know I mean, at all costs. And he earns that money in the ring, not outside of it. Um, but yeah, like, Hay is a man who's fought Masternak, 
He's fought, you know, going back a, a fairly prime Macronelli. He's fought Klitschko. He's fought Chisora. He's not afraid of Tony Bellew. He's not. And the fact Sky will absolutely be rubbing their nuts together over this it just drives me insane. It's an odd celebration sort of analogy you've come together with rubbing your nuts together. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so angry about this. Lost the will to live with it. I, I, I okay, so I have a hypothetical question. If let's just say David Hay gets a world title shot, and then let's just say wins, okay, against Lucas Brown. <clears throat> so you you said the natural sort of like movement would then therefore be perhaps to organise something with AJ for a, for a unification. But let's just say that the AJ fight happens with Klitschko and Klitschko wins, which I don't think is a mile, million miles outside of uh, reality. So then what happens? He gets into the new year. David Hay is a world champion. Klitschko is a world champion. AJ is not a world champion anymore. Is an AJ fight more lucrative to David Hay than a Bellew fight? Than a Bellew fight? Easily. Yeah, I mean, you know, which one does he e- choose? Easily. Let's be absolutely clear about something. People will pay through the nose for big men to fight each other. And two big men that look the part sells itself. Tony Bell, you doesn't look the part. Like he, he, you, you, you know what? You can do all that witty talking that he does or whatever. You can do all the, you know, the, the way in acting antics that he gets up to all, all of that just garbage that he does. But, the people don't buy into that because when you stand face to face in the ring, people look at it and go, this is a mismatch. And you say about the witty talk, like, can I just point out as well that it took me the best part of 10 minutes to work out. He kept referring to David Hay down at ringside as being SpongeBob SquarePants. And it was only when I sat and read through Twitter afterwards that someone pointed out that he actually meant Sideshow Bob but he was getting his cartoon <laughs> characters mixed up and calling him SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, like, that's God. how pantomime this is. He fluffed his own lines. You massive bellend. Did he call him that more than once? Many times. Many, <laughs> many. Go and find it. It'll be on Sky Sports or whatever that he keeps referring to the guy down there with the afro as SpongeBob SquarePants. That's painful. Uh, Okay, uh, I don't know, unless you've got other, something else to bring up over, the, um, over this fight, have you? No. no. Okay. No, it's just torturous. Okay, Campbell versus Matthews. Um, how'd that go down? Um, Matthews is on the way down. And like, the, the idea that, that this is a credible win is an absolute joke. Matthews was British level at best, you know? Um, and that was at his best. He's, he's gone so far down, and you've got Campbell here. Like... That, that, that pitter-patter Calzaghi to start slapping he did before he threw the body shot. Come on. Just put him in with these guys like Richard Comey. Stop fucking around and put him in with guys like Richard Comey and then Eddie Hearn can work out whether this guy's worth investing in. Because if he can't beat someone like Richard Comey, then it's over. So what what was the result of the fight? How did the fight go down? Um, Matthews got dropped twice with body shots. Um... It was stopped in the fifth or the sixth. I can't remember which. It was a cash-out fight for Debbie Matthews. I think he's retired on the back of it. Uh, not officially, but he's certainly hinting at it on Twitter. Um, what was most prevalent to me was that at one point, Campbell had Matthews pinned to the ropes. Matthews was covered up, and Campbell was just throwing this flurry of shots. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten like headshots. And Campbell, that's why Matthews could still spin off it at the end. And eventually went down to the body shots. But I don't think Campbell has that much power. I think Matthews is shot to pieces. 
I think that shows last night. I don't think, you know, as Terry said, Matthews has never been world level. He lost to Terry Flanagan in his last fight. Flanagan is known not to carry the power at lightweight. Um, and so the fact that he never stopped Matthews is no shock to anyone. Like The career of Derry Matthews is almost made retrospectively by the fact that he beat Anthony Crawler a number of years back. And the fact that Anthony Crawler has gone on to achieve so much reflects very well upon Derry Matthews. But actually, what has Derry Matthews ever achieved in the sport? He became a WBA interim world title holder by default. Ooh. Yeah, never had to fight nor defend it, I believe. And then, like, that that's basically... There's no disrespect to Derry Matthews. Derry Matthews has been a fantastic servant. If he goes out of the sport after this fight, he's been a fantastic servant to British boxing. But not world-level boxing. So don't be confused by the fact that Luke Campbell beat him. Luke Campbell beating him does not make Luke Campbell next in line to a world title. Um, in fact, I hope it does because it may well put an end to the Luke Campbell myth that we seem to be living in. I've got a question from Josh Tulip at Josh Tulip 9 on Twitter. He asks, is Campbell world-level and where does he go from here? Um, I always like to pull fighters apart because I always think to be world-level you have to have something. I have to be able to look at you and go, you have something. It might be your jab. It might be your power. It might be your head move. It might be your defense. There has to be something that separates you from the crowd. And you look at Luke Campbell and he's he's competent at everything. And if he was a FIFA player, he'd be like a like a 53. You know, he's just he's just competent throughout the houses. He can throw a jab, he can throw a backhand, he can jump in and out of space. But he's not a thinking boxer, he's not a power puncher. He's not a slickster. You know, he's not a guy who's relentless on you either. He's not, you wouldn't be scared to fight Luke Campbell. And when, you, when you're in that position, you can never be world class. But, you know, it, it, let's adopt the principle of charity for a change and go, maybe he is world class. Fight someone who... Okay, so is it, is it too simple to um, suggest that the only reason that Luke Campbell won a gold medal... Because this is the thing that can like, I don't understand. You've got some uh, fighters like Anthony Joshua win a gold medal and go on to big things. You've got other fighters like arguably Audley Harrison and people like Luke Campbell who just don't ha- seem to have that next level. So is is winning a gold medal not anywhere near the pinnacle of the sport, or is it because the boxing types are so like the styles are so different? What has a gold medalist got to have to become a successful professional boxer? Let's go back 40 years to 1976. <laughs> you have the National Golden Gloves Tournament happening, right? And in the final of the Golden Gloves Tournament is Aaron Pryor, God rest his soul. In the opposite corner to Aaron Pryor is a 17-year-old Thomas Hearns from Detroit. Aaron Pryor goes on to beat Thomas Hearns in the final of the Golden Gloves, which gives him an opportunity to box for the Olympic spot, where he loses to a gentleman called Howard Davis Jr. Which is no shame because you have to remember Howard Davis Jr. then goes to the goes on to the Olympics. This is the same Olympic team that has Sugar Ray Leonard in it. And Howard Davis Jr. wins the gold and wins the award for boxer of the tournament. Does anyone here know who Howard Davis Jr. is? No. Part of the rat pack, wasn't he? Same skin colour. <laughs> um, oh, so close. Um, so, in essence, 
what you end up having is you have this guy, Howard Davis Jr., the most coveted amateur, but everyone knew he couldn't punch to save his life. He was so, he was super skillful. He did everything right. And if you watched him with, with no sound, he'd look amazing. But if you look at his career, every time he stepped up to world level, he got stopped. You know, I remember him getting knocked out in one round. I think it's 1988 against James Buddy McGirt, who, interestingly enough, is on the ballot for Boxing Hall of Fame. So it would be interesting if he gets in. But he got knocked out by Buddy McGirt. And this is how bad it was. McGirt didn't throw a single jab. He was just throwing left hooks for the first round. So, so there's a massive... There's a massive gap between what you can do in the amateurs and what you can do in the pros. And that's why Howard Davis Jr. is probably the ultimate example. Because look at the guys around him. Ray Leonard, boxing great. Um, Tommy Hearns, didn't box in that Olympics, boxing great. Aaron Pryor, didn't box in that Olympics, boxing great. All in and around that same weight category. So it's not worth getting hung up about winning gold medals because you go from scoring points on a continuous basis and that's why amateur box is so frenetic to then actually being judged over how you do in a round and there's a degree of control required around that and there's also a degree of physical maturity that you need and if you look at Campbell people people act like Luke Campbell's 23 years old Luke Campbell's 30 <laughs> or 31 I don't know how old the kid is now but he's very much a Howard Davis Jr. where You'll push him up a level, he'll fail, you'll bring him back down, he'll look amazing. And then he'll move up to that elite level and get knocked down again. You know, he's got a touch of the Amir Khan about him. So he's just simply just not good enough. Is that what we're sort of establishing? It's looking that way. Let's not be definitive. It's looking like Luke Campbell's not the golden child, but Eddie's invested so much money. So just so just so the listeners understand this, right? Eddie Hearn puts it outside a certain budget for a fighter. He won't drop you unless A, he's already got his money back or B, he can never get his money back. Then he will drop you. So if you look at, and I know I'm not his favourite person at the moment, if you look at Dillian White, they had to pay him a lot of money to fight Joshua. That was a big card. There's a big deal of money required. He injures his shoulder. Eddie can't make his money back on him. He's back to full fitness now. You make a little bit of money with the two bums he fought. You make a little bit more money on the Ian Lewison fight. But Eddie hasn't broken even or made a profit on Dillian White yet. When he does, and if Dillian loses after that, don't expect him to be fighting on mainstream shows for very long. It's a business. Right, but the question I then have is, if Luke Campbell, let's just say Luke Campbell isn't world-class, right? Just for argument's sake. Then my question is, so therefore, has he won a gold medal in the past because he just happened to be the best at the Olympics? Or because the amateur style suited his style more? It suited him. Right, that's, yeah, that's yeah. why it would have come down to. Yeah. You, you can throw fast flurries, jump in and out. Even if they don't hurt the other guy, you've got your points. You know, I don't think he'd do so well. He, he wouldn't have done as well in the 2016 <clears throat> games, that's for sure. Does, out of interest, would, how do you think Nicola Adams' style were she to go pro? I, I realise it's kind of a misnomer, but just play the game with me. Do you think if she were, say, if she fought in a in a, a very organised and sort of rich female boxing scene as the males, would her style do well in professional yeah, boxing? Yeah, I think she'd stop Campbell for. <laughs> <laughs> um, confusing. You're catching me off guard with the female boxing side. So what weight would she? She'd be about the same weight as... 
I'm I'm say, I'm thinking say, more about style. I was going to say Jennifer Han or maybe a Maria Conejo. Hmm. She'd have to, especially with the Mexican ladies, and the Mexican ladies tend to hold most of the belts because they have that real ground and sort of style where it's, we're just going to beat the shit out of you, basically. And there's no way Nicola Adams could jump in and out against these ladies because they will hunt her down and beat her senseless. So she'd have to plant her feet a bit more. But if you look at Nicola Adams, physically, she looks like she should be the part. So she doesn't have to. You know, she's big. At 51 kilos, she's quite big because she's relatively tall. And she seems to have the height advantage over most of her opponents. So would she then be able to plant her feet, use leverage a lot more than she did kind of using that clever footwork? Probably. I, she'd adapt. I don't think she'd carry the same style in the amateurs into the pros at all. Okay, fair enough. So, okay, Martin, take us up to date with the uh, review of the Burnett and Farag fight. Okay, so it was the second, or it was the first to appear, but the second that we're going to talk about, Frank Warren fighter that was on Sky last night, which was uh, Farag taking on Ryan Burnett. Ryan Burnett's being very, very highly touted by Sky um, in the bantamweight division. He is now being trained by Adam Booth. He's, it's an odd one. Like, Farag was coming off the back of, he got chinned badly on a, a Warrenshaw European title fight. And Burnett couldn't put, it was a really, really good fight. Like, it was a nice fight. Burnett was always that slight level above him uh, all the way through the fight. So, although they kind of stood and traded, you always got the impression off of every exchange that Burnett was in control he was uh, the better of the two, and you know the points reflected that at the end. But Sky were then, uh, I can't remember if it was Nelson on the punditry afterwards, was talking about Burnett um, being world level now, and like he can go on and you know he should be fighting maybe Lee Haskins, Jamie McDonnell. I just thought you're just rushing the like whether this is just Sky hyperbole, I don't know, or they genuinely believe that because they're crap pundits. I don't know what the answer is. But the fact that Burnett, and this is what stood out to me, Burnett could stand and tee off on Farag at times, and the left hook to the body, he must have landed clean in excess of 25 times in the fight. Uh, and Farag was like covering up, but not covering um, to the body that well. The right elbow wasn't tucking in. He was just taking these left hooks to the body all the way through. He could not finish him off. Um and I just think it, it was a sign to me that Burnett isn't ready to be moved on to that level yet. Like, let him stay around British level. I mean, there aren't that many bantamweights in Britain for him to take on, but maybe move him up to European level, but do not move him up to world title level yet. He would, I, I honestly believe, get quite badly embarrassed at that level. He's still a young enough man. He's 25, I think. He is a good prospect, but I, I just hope they don't feel the need to kind of move him up and rush him as yet. I think Adam Booth's probably a very good trainer to have him with at the moment in terms of his style. Um, but there was just something missing for me. And whether it's that um, that knockout punch, that killer punch, that he, he just doesn't have it on him at the moment. And whether you can teach that to him now at 25, whether he gets that you know much maligned man strength or, or what, I don't know. But he just he doesn't have that ability... Um, to put a man away like in that, that to me proved it somebody who when he's stepping up at a slight level in Farag he didn't have that ability to put Farag away that it kind of disappointed me a little bit I thought he should have do you have any embellishments on that uh, Burnett looks good 
you know, clever head movement. Sometimes I wish he'd keep his hands up a bit more. Probably a good time to fight Haskins, actually. Haskins' last fight wasn't that impressive. I think I think where Stuart Hall is a bit static, Burnett's not static, and he'd give Haskins a lot more in terms of problems. But back to the point you were talking about earlier, Andy. If you look at Farag, Farag was a decorated amateur. I think he was ABA champion in 2008. Don't quote me on that, but I think it was. And, you know, look at the look at the gap in quality. Ultimately, there's something about being in a pro ring that says, you know, you've got a few more rounds where you have to be at your best. And psychologically, that's the hard part. Okay, I have a question. Now, I've thought about this. I've thought about how I can phrase it. Um, why is Eddie Hearn a cunt? <laughs> this was posed to us on Twitter yesterday, which I took very, very facetiously. Uh, I didn't realise we were actually going to get it rolled out for us. <laughs> now, um, okay, I mean, look... <laughs> My views on Eddie Hearn, we we get them quite often. Um, one thing that struck me was during the uh, week, was it Tuesday night, where Eddie Hearn appeared on uh, Five Live and there was Mike Costello and Steve Bunce and they were talking about the possibility of Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko. Um, and Eddie Hearn was talking about and thankfully, I don't get to see that much stuff from her now because he's blocked me on Twitter. So I, I don't deal with his stuff all the time. But he was talking then about um, the possibility of Joshua versus Klitschko and his actual words. I'm not even making this up. I'm not slandering him or anything. Was, uh, if I'm honest, I don't want Joshua fighting 50-50 fights in his 17th or 18th professional belt. Yeah, like, yeah I heard that as well. I genuinely, like, there's a part of me that respects Eddie Hearn for his openness and his ability to talk openly kind of about the business a little bit. Terry said it before, I think it's a very good phrase for using in it, is uh, lifting the veil a little bit on how boxing works. That's perfectly fine, but you've got to also respect the fans. Like, to say that I don't want to see Anthony Joshua in a 50-50 fight in a 17th or 18th, you can't talk about him being the best heavyweight in the world, which he does, in one breath, and then the next breath talk about him not being in 50-50 fights, which also, like, if we want to look back through all the Charles Martin debacle, all the Dominic Briazil fight, like... These were hyped up as perhaps Joshua was even the underdog, but they were certainly talked about as 50-50 fights by Hearn. And yet he comes out afterwards, and now in hindsight says, I don't want any Joshua in 50-50 fights. So what were you saying at the time then? How like We all know that his job is as a salesman. I accept that. I completely accept that. But don't then like basically say that you were bullshitting when it came to the, the Brazil and the Charles Martin fights, which he was, and we know that, and you know we knew that back then when he was talking, he built up the Hay Harrison fight. He's the one that's responsible for that. I accept a promoter's job is to sell a fight. I complete. I'm cool with that. I'm down with that. I don't like it that everything has to be like built up so much and then come out and say I don't want to see Anthony Joshua in a fifty-fifty fight in the seventeenth or eighteenth. As fans, like if you've given him a world title, which you bought him for Christmas last year. You then need to accept that he needs to be in 50-50 fights. And honestly, I can't understand. If if Klitschko doesn't come off and David Price is stood in the opposite corner for uh, Anthony Joshua in December or January, wherever it is now, if anyone out there buys a ticket for it, you're a dick. 
Like, that's what it comes down to for me, because you're encouraging the problem. Like, go and see Joshua Klitschko. That's good. That's a good fight. If it ends up as Joshua Price, and you're somebody that buys a ticket for it, you have to go and look at yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's not necessarily my view of uh, Eddie Hearn. You know, I'm no, because you'll be there singing Sweet Caroline I'm with your fairly, T-shirt over your head. fairly indifferent towards him. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Sweet Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> Have you really got a gig coming up soon with that voice? <laughs> that's my boxing voice. That's my boxing fan voice, mate. That's mate a, that is your punch drunk voice. That's his 12-point voice. Sweet <laughs> I can't believe I only paid 130 quid for this ticket. Yeah, man. I can nearly see. <laughs> Pass me the binoculars. <laughs> Watch it on your phone. <laughs> um. So we'll uh, we'll move on to a preview for this weekend, just to let you in uh, slight behind the scenes. Um, having talked about when we were talking about this preview, <laughs> Martin has said to me, "Let's brush over it because it's awful." <laughs> So tell me, tell me, why is this an absolutely awful fight? This is a prime example of two men that are going nowhere, so you put them in the ring together. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it is. Like, Frankie Gavin has gone to world level against Kelbrook and been thoroughly, thoroughly exposed. He was beaten by Leonard Bundu. Let's not forget that. Like, Leonard Bundu is no world beater. Frankie Gavin, you know, let's go back and talk about what Terry said earlier about the amateurs. Let's not forget Frankie Gavin is our only gold medalist at the World Amateur Games. Um, That's something that you have to respect. Frankie Gavin is not a welterweight. Frankie Gavin should be a light welterweight. He's eaten his way into welterweight. Sam Eggington is not a talented boxer, but he's fun to watch. Like, this will be okay to watch. It's not that bad a fight. But this is a prime example of where Hearn has nowhere for either of them to go. So he puts them in the ring and makes it a Birmingham card. The rest of the card is shocking. Um, If Frankie Gavin has any sort of intelligence about him, which has always been up for debate, he will win this fight easily... I don't know if it's 10 or 12 rounds, whichever it is, it should be 10 rounds to nil, 12 rounds to nil. He's unlikely to knock Eggington out. Eggington, we saw it in the fight with Day 11s last year. Eggington has like incredible recovery strength. Um, Eggington, though, doesn't have a particularly good boxing brain. Bradley Skeet showed us that. Frankie Gavin should be able to toy with uh, Sam Eggington for every single second of every single round and it's if he does that, it's not going to make a very interesting fight. Terry? Matchroom Project 1 versus Matchroom Project 2. That's as simple as it is. If you remember when they signed Gavin, Gavin was meant to be this guy at welterweight. You know, they saw him as revenue. They saw him as the guy who would build the Birmingham franchise of Matchroom. As it turned out, man, the guy's just a paper bag of a boxer. So then you dig up Sam Eggington, don't you? And and he's then then he's matchroom prospect number two. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have a you have a you have a decent run. Was a prize fighter where he kind of made his name to to the Sky audiences, whatever. But, and you know, look, everyone knows I'm not a fan of this whole bottle brigade. Oh, he's got bottle and work rate and all this sort of stuff. The guy has no X factor. Like he has no no tricks. He has no toys. He has nothing to get excited about as a fan. So, you know. <laughs> Let's look at it like this. If you understand WWE wrestling, you understand Matchroom. Now, these guys are your your Dolph Ziggler's and your the Miz. That's what that's what this is. This is Dolph Ziggler versus the Miz. 
neither of them are good enough to sell merchandise. But what they can do is they can put on something that people will get behind because, you know, there's there's enough about them. But they're never going to, as, as Razor Ramon would say, they're never going to draw money. And Eddie knows that. But he needs to keep his Birmingham franchise going because one day the, the, the Five Brothers might come over the top. And by then you want them to just, you know I mean, take over the mantle from there. But if you can stream it, stream it. But personally, listen, take your girlfriend out. Go mow the lawn at night. I don't care. Hoover, <laughs> whatever you want to do, just don't watch this garbage, please. I'm in agreement. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they failed in Birmingham, frankly. They've had Matthew Macklin that they could never decide if he was Irish or from Birmingham. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Can we just stop for a second? Matthew Macklin walks this earth like a god. Just to quote John Let, let's, Yeah, yeah. Let's not debate that. But Sky could never decide whether he was Irish or from Birmingham. Uh, and so they tried to paint him as Birmingham lad when it suited them. Uh, and it hasn't ever kicked off in Birmingham. And as you said earlier, the money has never been there for Frankie Gavin or Sam Eggington. The Afai brothers, there's been talk of Cal going for the world title. Um, quite what the delay in that is, I'm not sure. But surely, like... That would have made sense to get... It's not going to be a huge money fight to get him a world title fight. That could have ended up on this card and made this card something that at least was worthwhile and not mowing your lawn at night. Instead, I'll tell you, man, I'll be out there sharpening my blades and getting the extension leaders. So tune in for the uh, Eggington and Gavin fight, as endorsed by Terry Jabandama and my Theobald. But, but to be honest, I'd have lived with it if, if Eddie had just said, you know what, this card's shit. Jay, <laughs> you'd be a terrible salesman. No, 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 no. You sit there in the matchroom office with John Wishart and Evan. Go, guys, this card's actually shit. And we might have call up, call, call up Jake Ball, call up O'Hara Davis. Just, just call up some guys who will make life interesting, please. And can we get them on this card? Because you're almost wasting a slot for the sake of it being a Birmingham thing when you could actually just be giving these guys rounds. Like, I, I want, I want, I want. Eddie to actually make a bet on the future. But would that be cost effective though? If he wants to make a lot of money, it's not going to be cost effective anyway. Like this yeah. card ain't going to sell. So you may as well mm. get guys who, who you're going to get. You know, you'll get some viewers' eyes on it. It's Sky. You know, you've sat there with your missus and had to watch fucking Pop Idol or whatever it is now. No, sorry, The X Factor. And you've had to hear one barmaid after another sing and hairdressers tell you about how they dream of being the next Sheena Easton, for God's sake. And at that point there, you'll happily switch to Channel 402. And if you can see a guy like Jake Ball in there against someone who he can blow over but will stand there for a couple of rounds, it's better than watching Eggington versus Gavin. <laughs> to be honest, like, just get some amateur kids on there. Get something that, you know, I don't even know anymore. Sheena Easton, did you say? Yes, I did. <laughs> is that that's a pretty dated reference, isn't it? Really, I only know Sheena Easton from the uh, Robbie Williams song "Me and My Monkey." That's pretty terrible, isn't it? Was she the monkey? No, no, they were talking about a monkey that wanted to go and watch Sheena Easton out in Vegas. Probably her level of <laughs> I mean, that's that's her target audience, I'd assume. <laughs> okay, uh, go, go. is that the what? Did she give it to Michael Jackson? Go, mate. There you go. <laughs> Bubbles. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, we've got some questions uh, one from John Morrell how is Hay so stylish and such a powerful dangerous fight we'll skip over that one uh, <laughs> <laughs> from Damien Taylor at DMET7 um, is having a good I like this question is having a good chin genetic or can it be improved over time 
And is there any examples of this? So, we'll go back to 1920. No, no, let's not. <laughs> so, the thing is, the, the actual physical pressure required to knock a man out is not that great. Um, if anyone gets caught flush on the chin, chances are you're either going to be severely buzzed or you're going to hit the ground. So there are many levels to, to punch resistance. That's essentially what we're talking about here. So you take a man like Holyfield. Now, number one, Holyfield had an advantage that it was very hard to hit Holyfield clean at his peak. Like you couldn't hit him clean because he kept his chin quite low and his shoulders quite high, you know, which was strange because if you look at Holyfield, he has quite a long neck and quite long trapezius muscles. But he was always able to to just keep his chin away. So you'd, you'd bang him about the head a bit, but never really clean on the chin. You know, Bo did it to him a few times, but then, you know, that's Riddick Bo. But if you look at someone like Holyfield, his neck is ridiculously big and it's all solid, which helps you absorb the majority of that shock. And when that shock can travel all the way down through some solid legs as well, you find that most of the, most, most of the punch-resistant fighters have really good legs. And there's also the function of fitness. So it's one of these intangibles. Let's take a step back. There's a degree of willpower required to box for 12 rounds. The more of that you have at the point that you get hit on the chin, the more likely you are to stand up. This is why when you see someone tired and they get knocked out or just hit on the chin, they'll fall over. And you're like, you know, if that happened in the first round, you'd have got straight back up. But now you're tired. You've, you've drained your willpower. The tank's empty. So you can do some things, but there's just some people who, who are built in a way that enables them to take a shot better than others. I like that. Uh, anything on that? No, no. Okay. So you'd argue that it's it's more genetic, really. There are certain things you could do to necessarily improve. Do, yeah. To have it a granite chin, like someone like, say, Frotch, for example, it's, it's something you've... Frotch's chin's not granite. Oh, Groves no. exposed that. Like, like, Groves exposed what Frotch's chin really is. He threw a straight right, hit him bang on the chin, as I told you before. <clears throat> it, when you get hit there, it doesn't take a lot to put you is down. It, is there a, who's who's got the toughest chin in history? Let's give that let's give that a whirl. Can you bring anyone to mind? You think toughest fighter you remember? Ali, man, like, like Ali's on that list because how many times did you see Ali floored clean? And he had a good few bouts with legitimate punches, and it was rare that he hit the canvas. Maybe you know he got did he get put down by Henry Cooper in the first fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. But you know Frazier might have put him down, but. Rock solid chin, rock solid body. He could really take a beating. Holyfield, before the Tony fight, Holyfield could, you'd look at him and go, you can take a beating. This guy stood in the pocket with Mike Tyson and, you know, that that Tyson could still bang. So, you give him his due. Um, you know, even on a British level, give Danny Williams his due as well. On his day, Danny Williams could take anyone's shot. There, there are a lot of good. There are a lot of guys with pretty good chins. Mayweather's another guy with a pretty good chin and really good recovery powers. He doesn't get credit for that. But apart from Mosley, when have you really seen Floyd on the like really in trouble? Where you're like, wow, he might go here. Oh, well, the one last one and James DeGale, a guy who doesn't get credit for his chin. Okay, um, we've got a question from James Sunderland. At Jimb008. Thank you for the questions, guys. Thank you very much. Um, Frank Warren. Is he at risk of losing fighters? Billy Joe Saunders must be fuming. If so, 
how would they go about? Can moving... I interject and say, can we pop this one to the end? Uh, yeah, if you want. Yeah, no, it's all right. I know at the end we're going to talk about a Frank Warren card falling apart this week uh, as a general point. So uh, we'll, we'll chuck it into there. Well, there's actually only one more question. One more question to go through, and that's from Shaz Chowdhury at Shaz underscore S M A C. Morning, gents. What is the fight of the year thus far? Now we kind of discussed this before the pod. Uh, and we've we've taken it from January. Let's say from January to now. Um, he says for him it's Chamberlain versus Camacho. Um, I suppose I've got three if I can go with that, which I realise is cheating. But I'm going to pick one from say world level and then one from not world level and one from a lower level. So if we're all right with that, if not, I fuck you. I don't care really. Um, <laughs> well, I cut the podcast. <laughs> So world level, uh, rogue. <laughs> I think I would probably go with Carl Frampton versus Leo Santa Cruz. Maybe uh, my favourite one though was Jamie Conlon versus Anthony Nelson, which was a real war tear up uh, fight earlier this year. It wasn't one for the the purists particularly. So Jamie Conlon being the brother of Michael Conlon, the Irish guy who got screwed at the Olympics. Um, but yeah, Jamie Conlon is just a fighter. Like he just likes to get in a fight. So they both went down. They like blood, sweat, tears, the whole lot during the fight. It was a phenomenal effort from both of them. Uh, and from you know the small low levels that people you know the the Conlon fight was on TV, the one that no one will see. Uh, for me, I really enjoyed. Um, and this would be one for uh, for Terry. I know you're a big fan of the man, but uh, Floyd Moore versus Ben Day for uh, Southern Area lightweight title earlier this year, which was uh, just a really enjoyable fight. Ben Day um, is a very awkward customer. He's going to be fighting Michael Devine for the same title uh, later on this year. But yeah, he just he's a tricky hands down. Like he's got a granite chin. If you talk about people with a granite chin, he can get hit, and and it doesn't really bother him. Um, but yeah, him and Floyd Moore had a great scrap earlier this year. Southern area title fights tend to end up with, you know, very enjoyable fights because it's two people, um, that either it's the start of their career and it's the first belt they're going to get around their waist, or that's where they're kind of peaking and they want to prove a point that they can get that Southern area belt. It's, it's a very prestigious belt for people at that level or to move on from. Um, so that was, that was probably, I say, I've got three and I'm cheating, but there you go. Would you like to also cheat, Terry, or would you like to... I want to cheat and go with two. Okay. So the first one... Cheat. (laughs) I'm going to go with Frampton versus Quigg for for a number of reasons. One, like in terms of the stakes, you know, I think think Frampton-Santa Cruz proved to be a bigger fight, but only because of what Frampton did to Quigg, you know. I, I, look, you know, the, the, the Sky experts were calling this a real 50-50 fight, a real pick and fight. I had no doubt in my mind that Frampton would win. But what what was exciting about it was just the, just the sheer, the, the intellect that Frampton was using versus that's that sheer brawn that Quigg was trying to use and just watching the Gallagher Empire collapse slowly around his chosen son. So I really enjoyed that one. Second fight that put a smile on my face was Robert Easter Jr. versus Richard Comey. There you have, and for me, this is the essence of boxing. You have two guys on the way up, roughly at the same level career-wise, and they're both fighting for a world title that means something. 
and they put it all on the line in that fight. You know, you saw knockdowns, near knockdowns, controversy, drama. You saw some great boxing. You saw some tough boxing. You saw some hard shots. You saw some beautiful technique. You looked at those two guys and went, yes, there's a champion at this fight, but there's no real loser in this fight. So they're the two fights for me that I'll happily watch on repeat. That's a great, great fight. Good shout out to Okay, so as promised, let's talk about the Frank Warren card falling through. And I'll allow, you know, you can just incorporate this risk of losing fighters from James Sunderland. Okay, so it was just, it was something I wrote about earlier this week, actually, um, on the website, which is Frank Warren has this absolutely turgid history at the moment, certainly over the last 18 months of big cards just not happening. So it started like the rut set in with uh, Andy Lee versus Billy Joe Saunders, which was set for Ireland last year. And then, was it Andy Lee got a virus? Like, that fucking lack of ticket sales virus that kicked in, um, <laughs> which caused the show not to go ahead and get moved to Manchester. Um, it's a bad virus, though. It is a very bad virus. It affects promoters really badly. Uh, they often get riddled with it. So it can be fatal. can be fatal. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was that. Um, there were a handful of others, which off the top of my head now, I can't remember. Um... <laughs> Probably says a lot. Yeah, no, there have been some big... Sh- oh, there was Max Bursack, Billy Joe Saunders, where Billy Joe Saunders picked up an injury, and that was meant to be down at Wembley. Now, from what I understand, that Carrying injury... Carrying all those tickets he hadn't sold. <laughs> it was certainly... Yes, he was over the weight that he was My meant hernia. to be. <laughs> he was over that weight that he was meant to be. Now, if you want to put that down to paper, <laughs> that's up to you. Um, and now we find out this week, on the back of... You know, there was a pullout from Chris Eubank Jr. meant to be fighting Tommy Langford uh, on this Frank Warren card down in Cardiff in, what, two weeks, is it? Um, We then find out from Frank Warren that this week, Liam Williams, who's headlining it against Ahmed Patterson. Oh, no, he's not. And Billy Joe Saunders. Oh, no, he's not. On the same day... Have picked up an injury. Oh, is it the is, same injury? That is unfortunate. <laughs> They've both got ticketitis as well. Oh, um, that's done. That's a bad. Has one got a bad right ankle? One got a bad left ankle. <laughs> they, they fell over in a three-legged race in training. So both of them happened to have on the same day oh, picked up an shame. injury. That's a real shame. Now, let's remember Billy Joe Saunders is defending his world title on the undercard of a British title fight. So that tells you an awful lot about what's going on here. <laughs> So they've rearranged it for November sometime. Now, I just want to find out, like, I want to find some odds, and I can't find any on any bookmakers, of this card getting cancelled altogether. Um, for whatever reason they put out there, I don't know, like, maybe Billy Joe Saunders might get injured again. Um, from what I understand, from what I've heard from very, very reliable sources, is that Billy Joe Saunders has been overweight for the Bursack fight and was overweight going into this fight. They're not fights that are going to inspire Billy Joe Saunders to go out and do those early morning runs, do those late night runs, do the training through the day. But this is a man, and going back to James Sunderland's point uh, about is it a risk to Frank Warren that he's going to lose Billy Joe Saunders? Like, Billy Joe Saunders at risk of losing his world title. It's coming up to a year in December since he won it, and he's not made a single defence of it yet, and he's turned down multiple opposition uh, opponents that have been put to him. So the likes of Gabe Rosado, I think, for the undercard of Smith-Canelo. 
Um, there have been many, many opportunities, and they've just not gone ahead. Now, this is becoming such a regular occurrence for Frank Warren um, cards. So the the smaller ones, like the Harrow one that went on the other week, that goes ahead. There have been various smaller ones that go ahead, but this is just endemic of what happens with Frank Warren big cards. So if you're a fan now, are you going to buy a ticket in advance to a Frank Warren card? Like... That Cardiff card was looking pretty reasonable. At one point, it was looking very reasonable when you had Langford Eubank on there. Like, as a spectacle, it was looking like a decent um, card. But now you've ended up with another one cancelled. So those people that have booked the tickets and can't make the rearranged date, they've lost their booking fee. So you're looking at 750 a ticket straight away. If you book trains or whatever in advance, you're looking at 40 quid or whatever. I don't know what the average train ticket price is. You're not getting that money back. Hotels can be cancelled. You get like you don't have to pay for them in advance typically. But if you're the fan who's going to these cards, like there is literally no way whatsoever that I would be paying money in advance to go to a Frank Warren card. And you're going to start losing that trust of boxing fans. There isn't a infinite pool of boxing fans that go to like different events like it's a very limited pool of boxing fans and you know on the whole they're fairly educated about these things i just think they're going to be stuck in a rut somewhat around cards just not going through because the ticket sales aren't going to improve the more that you cancel cards like it's just it's really bad at the moment for them um going back what was the full james sunderland question It was. I'll just say, um, if you or anyone you know is suffering from ticketitis or any unsold ticket-related injuries, you can call Frank on 1-800-DISINTERESTED and he'll get your card cancelled for you. So make sure you uh, get in touch if you are suffering with ticketitis. It's a serious disability. But Jane Sunderland writes in and says, is he at risk of losing the fighters? So furthermore to what you've been saying, what... What would they have to do if they were going to leave? Would they have to go about seeing out a fight? If they have a five-fight five contract and they're only two fights in and they want to leave, have they just got to fulfil it? Or what What? How, what goes with this territory there? Um, well, legally, you know, you sign a contract with a promoter, with a manager. I don't know. I think he's managed by MGM Marbella, isn't he? Um, but you can go to the board and ask for your contract back. If you feel like you're not getting um, promoted or managed as you believe you should, if it's mispromotion, mismanagement, you can go to the board and ask for that contract back. But it's not that often that the board will grant it to you unless it's in very extreme circumstances whereby it can be proven that you're being mismanaged, mispromoted. Um, In the case of Billy Joe Saunders, the fact that his two cancelled fights, so the Bursack one and this most recent one, are both being put down to his injuries... Um, that tells you that the board are very, very unlikely to be able to um, give him back his contract at his request. Um, the only argument he could ever make on that is that I'm being given really shitty fights that I don't want, uh, and therefore my injury is fatitis or whatever. But it's it's very, very unlikely that will happen. So he's going to have to see through this contract. Um, I don't believe... That'll be exciting for everyone. Though. Yeah, I don't believe Hearn has the interest in signing him, uh, or else it would have probably happened by now. It would have probably have suited everybody a long time ago. Why doesn't he have the interest to sign him? Because, similar to Tyson Fury, Billy Joe Saunders is a loose cannon. Like, Billy Joe Saunders doesn't care what people think. You watch some of his IFL TV interviews... He says some stuff that probably puts Tyson Fury's views in the in the shade, but because not as many people are aware of Billy Joe Saunders, uh, he doesn't create the same headlines over it. 
Um, but Eddie Hearn won't tolerate that kind of behaviour, and if he can't control him, he won't want to sign him. Uh, it's a tough one. So I always go back to to the WWE analogy when it comes to matchroom, and it goes like this: you need people that draw money. That, that that's what that's what your stable needs. You need guys that draw money. And in boxing, history has always shown that there are three weights that are guaranteed to draw money generation after generation. Lightweight, middleweight, heavyweight. Because every fan understands what they all mean. Little guys, guys about my size, guys bigger than me. Yeah? Don't have to explain that. If I start playing bantamweight, featherweight, strawweight, flyweight, I'm going to lose 80% of fans at that point because they don't really know or have an interest. So when you build a stable... Eddie needs a middleweight. I don't think he has a credible middleweight at the moment. Yes, he promotes Eubank Jr., but there's another loose cannon that you know frustrates Eddie Hearn no end. I think the thing about Saunders is Saunders is a middleweight with a belt who's undefeated. So there are all these things that Eddie likes to sell to people. You know, he's undefeated. Uh, he's got a belt. You know, he's done this. He's done that. So so Billy Joe has upside to him. The downside of Billy Joe Saunders is probably a lifestyle thing. Does he live the way that way that Eddie Hearn loves? Eddie Hearn loves his guys to be in reasonable shape. I'm trying to think of any match from fighters coming out of shape. Frankie Gavin. It's not really a match. He's just kind of floating around, isn't he? You, you, you know, Eddie went through his his WhatsApp and just realized oh, I've still got Frankie Gavin. <laughs> You know, he's texting me. You know, you know, we've all done that. We've just, 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 you've been bored and you've scrolled down. Oh, recent conversation, Eddie, yeah. Eddie, Eddie, yeah. Eddie. <laughs> no blue ticks. <laughs> so, so basically, mo- most like you know, Eddie, Eddie's a it's a professional outfit. Um, I was talking to Isaac Chamberlain yesterday, and he was just telling me about how you know how Eddie is, and you no, know, it's, it's it's a machine. Just like the WWE, you've got to take care of yourself because you are the product. Can Billy Joe adopt adopt that mindset? He'll make a shitload more money if he can. But I, I, I think the deal's there to be done for both parties, but there's going to have to be a bit of flex on both sides because Billy Joe's young enough to to still make good money. And How old is he? Uh, I'm going to say 28. He's about that age. Okay. So th- there's a chance, but but, you know... Martin was absolutely right about Frank Warren. The problem with Frank Warren is boxing's moved away from that that model Frank has. Frank still has that, you know, smoky room, couple of lights over the ring, and that's how you market to people, market to your brickies, your scaffolders. Not realising Eddie doesn't. Eddie markets to people who are looking for a good night out, Something that's Instagram worthy, Facebook worthy. Sweet Caroline. Yeah. Guys with strange haircuts singing Sweet Caroline. <laughs> but but essentially, so so Warren still Warren actually believes the market's gonna come back to his way of thinking. But Eddie realizes, look, you can take pictures, you can Facebook live from the O2 and people will be jealous because you're here at a big event. It's noisy, there's energy, people are having beers here. This is better than football because you can drink. And Frank Warren's like, ah, Harrow Leisure Centre, yeah, get a few of the lot. Now, you know, it's like he's organising a barbecue for his mates. That's how I look at his fight cards. <laughs> it's kind of like, I, I imagine Frank Warren has never watched a matchroom boxing show on TV because when he's flicking through on a Saturday night, he probably thinks that that's the darts. 
Like, he probably doesn't realise that that venue that's got loads of people singing and dressed up and they're having a good time is going to be a boxing venue. But, but he probably, but, he doesn't understand it. But remember before when Matchroom, before Matchroom got Darts, what was, Darts was like a Frank Warren card. Yeah. It was just, it was garbage. And then, you know, Matchroom got gymnastics now. Let's see what they do with gymnastics. You know, quite, maybe they'll get Billy Joe to do that. Does Frank Warren die out in the next 10 years? And not, not literally, but I mean, does, it, does the whole business model and the whole, just him as a promoter, does he just well, fade away? Well, well, what he needs to do, and the problem is, I don't, think, I don't think his son is the guy to do it. He needs someone that's going to go into Matchroom and go, okay, what, what's selling? What's engaging the people we want to come to our shows? Social media, content. They need the video. They need stories. We're not building fighters. Frank Warren builds cars before he builds fighters. Eddie builds fighters before he builds cars. Yes. You need someone like Barry Hearn. He should come into it. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I think he tried. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, yeah. He he had his time in the nineties. It didn't quite work out well. Oh, for Barry him. Hearn. Yeah. 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 He was. Yeah. Give me a history lesson. So Barry Hearn was Barry Hearn was an accountant years and years ago. Then, then he realised actually there's a sports snooker that if you flip it around and make it slightly more entertaining, make these guys characters. Steve Davis. Yeah, we can we can effectively turn it. So I think did he manage Davis first and yep. then then take over snooker? Yep. And then he with that money he was like, okay, guys that go to the snooker probably go to the boxing. Let me go into boxing, and he did the same thing. So he got boxers and he was like, look, look how much money I've made for the snooker guys. Here I am in boxing. And then he was able to promote as well. And that's what gave Frank Warren, you know, he rest of science because Barry kind of turned up just after Warren got shot by allegedly Gary Stretch or someone <laughs> like that. And so they had their little competition. Barry would match his fighters hard. Warren was always cagey in where he put his fighters, if that makes sense. So I think when Ben was under Barry Hearn, didn't he fight in America? That's when he beat Iran Barkley and Doug DeWitt which basically made Ben a global superstar, whereas Eubank was fighting Italian truck drivers in Naples, which is how Warren does things. Warren will find the easiest way to make money without ever thinking of the long term. And he only really did for Barry Hearn because he had Calzaghi. It was that luck, you've got Joe Calzaghi, you can build cards around him. And the, the Hearns didn't have anything, so they died down until 2006 was it 2000 i can't remember when it was yeah barry hearn actually like eddie hearn said it the barry hearn never wanted to get back into boxing so like eddie <clears throat> eddie uh started back i can't which way round it was was it that he did price fighter first and then got audley harrison the shot with hay i'm pretty sure it was um yeah that's it he won price fighter yeah too. But uh, Barry Hearn was quite adamant that they shouldn't go and touch boxing again after his experiences in the 80s and early 90s, uh, through to the mid-90s. It was only through Eddie's kind of enthusiasm for it and ability to sell something and make a bit of money out of it that convinced Barry Hearn that actually... Because uh, don't be fooled about it. Like If Barry Hearn ever turned around and said, we're pulling the plug on this, they're pulling the plug on it. Like Eddie is the second in command of that place. Like, Barry Hearn is the head of Matchroom. Eddie Hearn is the head of Matchroom Boxing. Like, it's very much a subsidiary. Okay, that's interesting. Learn something new every day. Of course, the listener always knew that, so I'm just embarrassing myself. But there's nothing new there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I guess there's not much left to chat about, unless whoa, you guys are... Whoa, oh, whoa, whoa, sorry, whoa. sorry, sorry. I'll just drag... Uh, <laughs> Your soapbox out, Terry. Have you got anything to no, say? No, no, it's not a soapbox, but you know, there's a, a lot's been happening in boxing, so 
Number one, massive congratulations to Joe Maposa, who signed with Frank Warren. So he brilliant promoter. (laughs) (laughs) Massive congratulations. But but you know, for a kid from Middlesbrough to have made it as far as you know GB representation. Um, now you're getting signed by Warren, so you know you, you've landed on your feet as a pro. If you can't get a matchroom contract, you'll still take a Warren contract because it puts you at a certain level. So congratulations to him, uh, to Muka Mucha Pondwa fought in Bristol yesterday, and he won. So he's now fifteen and zero. I just say this because I'm really happy to see Zimbabwean boxers finally getting their shine. So you know, in the amateurs, you see a load of Zimbabweans and Southern Africans box, and if you look at all the weights up to probably like Walter, really, really competitive. And a lot of Zimbabweans have gone on to do well. We don't do so well at heavyweight. Look at Chisora, for example. We're not really designed to be that big. So congratulations to those guys. I mean, doing fantastically well. Um, you know, I was going to touch on something else as well. Um, Daniel Gill, a oh, poor man. So, Smashed. Yeah, two-round knockout. Um against someone I don't even know man like might have, might have even been the Cobra again <laughs> um, so it was good it would be a shame to see to see him go because look that's a guy that won a world title twice in Germany which at the time wasn't the done thing so you know four losses in six what does Gil do hopefully Gil retires and for an Australian boxer he should be a hero you know, congratulations to the guy. Never gets the same attention Tony Mundine gets, although he probably achieved a lot more than Tony Mundine. Tony Mundine has the Aussie rules background, doesn't he? Which uh, endears him to the Australian people. Yeah, yeah, because he was a rugby player before he switched over. Oh, sorry, yeah, rugby, not Aussie. Yeah, uh, you know, and him and Sonny Bill Williams. Although I think he annoys the Australians because I think he's a Muslim as well, like Sonny Bill. Sonny Bill will Austra- <coughs> annoy Australians anyway because he's a New Zealander. Pretty much. <laughs> it doesn't need to do a lot more than that. Um, yeah, so you know, no, no, massive stuff happening in the in in the amateur world. So congratulations to all the young guys who are still doing their novices. Um in the England boxing split within London has been an absolute mess. You're looking at the cards now and these kids aren't getting to have the fights that will define their careers. And, you know, I've said this on the podcast before, the best rivalries in boxing start in the amateurs. Because if the dislike is there in the amateurs, it's real. It's not money. It's not WWE. It's a real dislike. So if these guys don't get to fight each other, you don't get those rivalries. And then we don't get excited about fights. Because let's be honest, you know, as boxing fans, if someone says these kids fought at 15 and haven't liked each other since, you will pay to watch that because whatever happens in the ring is real. Is that... Are we done? Do we need to touch on Aaron Pryor? Because we recorded too early to to really, you know, say, you know, rest in peace to Aaron Pryor, the Hawk, probably one of the great 140-pound boxers who was unlucky. And he's almost, you know, I've said this before, he's, he's the Kel Brook of his era where he was so good that people would just... You know, I'm not going down to fight him. It's not worth it. So he was like the Manny Pacquiao of his day. Relentless punch output. One of the first boxers to be accused of taking PEDs. He worked with a trainer called Panama Lewis. And Panama Lewis is famous for being the guy that took the padding out the gloves. So, you know, I can't remember the young yeah. lad who basically got punched with his, 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 oh, his face was horrible at the end, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So just that, so, so swollen. So that trainer <sighs> was Panama Lewis. And his controversy with Aaron Pryor came from, I think it was the Alexis Aguayo fight, where his second offered him a bottle of water. And Panama Lewis's ex- exact words were, 
No, not that bottle. The other bottle <laughs> <laughs> that I mixed earlier. <laughs> you Did know, you actually say that I mixed earlier. Yes. Oh this, this is infamous. So, so th- that that's why people are suspicious on about Pryor. So, rest in peace to him because he never coped with not having the Sugar Ray Leonard fight. It was offered to him in eighty. I think it was just either just before, or just after the first Duran fight, and it was offered again in eighty-two. So, when it was offered in eighty-two, he accepted. 750,000 then it turned out Ray Leonard had a detached retina and that broke him so I don't think he was ever the same fighter after that turned to crack and all kinds of drugs recovered had been clean for 23 years before unfortunately passing away and it's a reminder that look boxing is abusive enough on your body man. don't abuse it further with the stuff you do outside of the ring it's not beneficial to your long term health Um, are we ready to do Argue the inarguable. We're always ready. And yet never ready. Terry, resigned to disinterest. <laughs> right, Terry, you can go first. Get out of the way. <clears throat> okay. This time next year, we'll be edging closer to an undisputed heavyweight champion of the world named Tony Bellew. <laughs> so, so, so... Interestingly enough, and no one would have noticed this, that backstage was Vince McMahon. So <laughs> Vince McMahon has not only seen Creed, but witnessed the fight yesterday. So the the accepted rumour right now is that they're going to prepare either Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, or The Rock to face up against Tony Bellew at WrestleMania. So don't expect to see Tony fighting in quarter one next year at all. He's going to take the time off to build up to heavyweight. I don't know who he's training with. I think he's training with... Shawn Michaels out in Texas. <laughs> Sweet Jim. So Jimmy. fully expected. Well, no, no, no. So, so Bellew is, is he's working on his finishing move. The Bellend. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the Bell Bottom, but essentially it was going to be a variant of the Rock Bottom, but Booker T had a move called the Book End. So I guess Bellend would work. <laughs> Oh my God, he's going to do the bell end. Here comes the bell end. <laughs> As he walks to the ring. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was great. Well done, Terry. Martin. We don't want, much the same way as Eddie Hearn has spoken about AJ, we don't want to see 50-50 fights. We like to see walkovers. Well, what does every fan like to see? Um... At the climax of uh, you know somebody's career is somebody who's got a eighty-seven and O um, CV. <laughs> so if you've got two fighters, that eventually when like ten years down the line from when they turned amateur, oh sorry, when they turned professional, they're both eighty-seven and O, <laughs> and you get that payoff <laughs> fight. Imagine. And what they've beaten is like the best journeyman out there, and they can compare the CV, see what round they took out the journeyman in their eighty-sixth fight. Then come that 87th, 88th fight, it's going to be huge. It's going to be pay-per-view box office, baby. Woo! <laughs> oh, fantastic. Was that Jason Gavin that did the woo? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. I'm 87 and 0, and I've never fought past the first round. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good Just I am. Just icing everyone. <laughs> yeah, totally Wasn't that Shannon Briggs' career? <laughs> <laughs> got the record, didn't he, for the most first-round knockouts. Has he really? Yeah. Wow, he must be really powerful, all the Italian truck drivers, isn't it? Okay, so I think that 
wraps us up for this week, unless you two gents, fine gentlemen, have got anything to add. No, I just want to add an apology, certainly to David McGinley, because I feel like I've probably ranted throughout most of this. What? I know he's not a fan of the uh, the rant of a podcast. So. Got some analysis, David. Oh. Yeah. No. Um, wait, quick one. We missed out the question on unionisation. Oh, did we? All right. I don't know who asked it, but someone said, is it time that boxing was unionised in light of what happened to Mike Tal? So, are you, you sure? Know? Didn't we cover that before? Is that isn't wasn't that? I wrote a piece on it in the week. Go and read that. Oh, yeah, I mean, you write so many, man. I, I just got done with the sponsorship one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we're not doing that question. Uh, would you want to do it? Not really. Boxing should it be unionised. No, but I do believe in Klitschkoonomics, which is essentially look at the Golden Boy model. Schaefer ran it, but who owned it? Boxers owned it. So imagine you could you could take that model and the beginning will be hard, but once it's up and running, it'll be like a law firm. With a law firm, you buy into a partnership, you sell your share, you leave, right? But other people run it while you see all the profits. But what does that mean? It, it would mean theoretically you could get a pension. You could get health care. You could get, more importantly, you could get death and service cover. It might be expensive, but you could get death and service cover like we do in our jobs. So I think there's a model that could exist in boxing whereby... Someone like an Eddie Hearn is your Richard Schaefer, but it's actually owned by the boxers. And if that were the case, then they would have they'd have access to the profits of it. So it's in their incentives to fight and to work. And you can have some kind of you know fee sharing arrangement based on who generated what. But we need something that means that these guys don't end up being you know chewed up and spat up by fans and end up being destitute or suffering mental illness and there are no provisions to protect them. As long as Eddie Hearn controls 90% of the sport in the UK, that won't happen, because he's a money-grabbing thug. See, I, I, I think boxing both is um, helped by the fact there's such a hunger out there, especially in the UK, for, for you know um, actual boxing content and coverage, but also actual live events and whatever. So that th- they, they thrive on that, but it also is disadvantaged by the way that it's managed. So I don't expect you to necessarily have um, an answer as to how this would happen. <clears throat> but do either of you think that we're anywhere near any kind of boxing revolution, given how pathetic Frank Warren's been the last couple of years? You know, c- could something big happen? Or like you sort of kind of intimate there as Eddie Hearn got too tight a grip. Is that not likely to happen? No, I don't expect to know what would happen, but are we likely to see a big change in boxing over the last, over the next decade, say? Well, the man that changed boxing the most in the last 15 years is Floyd Mayweather, right? And what Mayweather did is he said, I'm, I'm at that point where I'm nearly big enough that it's just a matter of time. Bob Arum's not going to help me. I want to buy myself out of my contract and do this my own way, according to my own rules, and I want to prove people right or wrong. And he did. And if you look at if you look at the Mayweather team, he's hired people who who aren't boxers but are specialists in what they do. And even in retirement, he's gone on to generate, you know, significant income. So the Klitschko's are the same. The Klitschko's own K two. They never they never talk about owning K two. They leave it to Tom Loeffler and Bert Bonte. But Bert Bonte and Tom Loeffler do not own K two. The reason it's called K two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so They love that mountain. So, 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 if we look at it that way, if you're smart enough, and the Klitschko's were, they knew when they were at their peak peak popularity, and they said, well, actually, do you know what? 
we can run this ourselves now. The world needs us. Let's say Joshua does beat Klitschko, does beat Hay, does beat Wilder. He could be the first guy to go, do you know what, Eddie? This is all coming under me now. And then he could say, David, why don't you join me? Just like De La Hoya did. He said, look, here are the guys I respect because I fought them. Hopkins, Mosley, I'm sure there's one other. Let's form Golden Boy. Yeah, we know the sport. We're pretty good draws. And then we will share the profits. We'll get Richard Schaefer to do the running because we're not admin people. We're boxers and we're business owners. You know, we can sell the fights, we can sell the occasion, but Schaefer takes care of business. So there is a model there that will work. It's about whether boxers want to keep being selfish and going, I'm going to fight for my own purse and think short term. Because if you look at boxing now, there's a massive asymmetry, right? You've got Mayweather making, what, 200 million fighting Pacquiao. Does he really need all of that? Is it really worth all of that? The answer is no. But what it does is it sucks all the money up here and dilutes all the revenue and interest down here. If you can balance that out slightly and an ownership model could do that, then you'd have a more sensible market and everyone would be incentivized to have reasonable fights on their cards. You wouldn't have this bullshit anymore because Eddie Hearn can do what he wants. He has a monopoly, right? So we need Vince McMahon is what we need, I reckon. But he's another monopoly as well. Look at Vince McMahon when he had to go head-to-head with Ted Turner. That was the one time where you saw revolutionary programming from the WWE. Now, they've, they've taken care of everyone. So they're looking to yeah. do what we want. Yeah. Okay, I think uh, we're done. You're done, aren't you? All good. Yeah. Okay. All good. And just say to people, man, listen, if you follow and you bump into me in a show... Come on, man. Spit in my face. Nah. Stop. Let's have a decent conversation. Bring me a t-shirt. Hey, James Lupton, I want a round eight t-shirt with the seven wolves on the back. You've seen the logo. You know what to do. I want a t-shirt, man. Let let, let me cross promote. Give me free stuff. Nah, nah. Well, (laughs) actually, no. Nah, I'll pay for that. If he he does the seven wolves one properly, I'll pay for that. (laughs) Let's not lie. Official colors, though, man. Like, Like, I'm very particular about my RGBs. Let's not lie about that. Okay. Get in touch at... The New Age, oh, sorry, at New Age Boxing UK, at The Seven Wolves, and at New Age Podfather, if you really want to. Uh, we'll uh, just give us questions, argue the inarguables, anything you want, really, send it in, and we'll do what we can with the content. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Take care. See you next time. See you next time. I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up.